Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. Hello, everyone. I'm Mai Judah with Lion and Land Ministries. I want to welcome you to our program. We are in the midst of a study of the Gospel of Matthew. And in fact, we are well into the book. And in this episode, we're going to be starting out at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. And we're going to proceed through the rest of this chapter uh, for us. Um, just as a quick review here. Uh, for the book of Matthew, part of our study and part of the intent of this study is to walk along as one of the disciples, along with Yeshua as he was teaching the disciples, to put ourselves in the shoes along with them and learn the instruction. Because what Matthew does is he actually gives many of the specific teachings that Yeshua gave to the disciples. So it's it's uh, almost having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the Messiah. You're literally sitting there listening as the Messiah teaches. And we are in the midst of some of the teaching of the Messiah that was given to the disciples, and we get to, uh, through his gospel, participate in as well. Obviously, listening to the teaching of the Messiah is profound for us in our faith, increases our understanding of the Messiah, and also trains us spiritually on how to walk out our faith better. With that said, let's now look at the instruction that's being given here in chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. Yeshua says to them, And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Um, you know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but when I was a younger man, I remember this, that we would get a bunch of brethren, we're together, and uh, there's an agreement amongst the group that we're going to pray. And the question always was, well, do you feel comfortable praying out loud with other people hearing you? Um, and a lot of brethren are not comfortable doing that. They're not comfortable praying in front of a group of people. And it has to do with that it's a powerful thing that, that is taking place. Very compelling uh, to you for you to pray publicly and openly. What Yeshua is talking about here is that there are certain people who've um, come to terms with that. And they recognize that's a very powerful thing of people, and that's how you can spiritually lead people, by you praying out loud uh, and, and leading the prayer. And what he's talking about is that certain religious men of the day would make for these long prayers. They would use this mechanism uh, to literally seize control of the people, and to sound righteous and sound worthy, and that we do it. And 
Yeshua is saying, I don't want you to do that kind of thing. He's not saying, don't pray out loud or don't lead in assembly in prayer. He says, don't do this thing that the hypocrites do. Uh, because essentially they're just making a spiritual speech, but quite honestly, they're not even really talking to the Lord. They're just talking to be heard uh, for it. And one of the things you have to learn about prayer is you're not praying to be heard, you're praying to someone. And in the case of us, as you'll see here in the instruction, he's trying to teach us to pray. When you pray, talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. He's your friend. He's your God. Talk to him. Um, he goes on to say that in, as opposed to speaking publicly, as the hypocrites do, he said, <clears throat> like, go in privately, pray privately. And by the way, I think that's the way most people do like to pray. They like to just pray within themselves, uh, silently, quietly. You know, me, that's the predominant way I, I like to pray. Uh, very rarely do I really speak out loud when I'm alone uh, with the Lord. I know the Lord hears me, and I'm able to say what I need to say. And quite honestly, I don't have a, a lot to say to the Lord. Um, I'm much more interested in hearing what he has to say. But I will, I will come to him and I will present the issues that is, that's affecting my life and, and to petition him, make requests of him. And sometimes I'll talk to him and tell him how I love him and I appreciate him and I thank him for, you know, the life he's given me. But it's, it's at a personal level. It's not for public display. And so that's really what the Lord is trying to instruct the disciples that predominantly prayer is not for a public spectacle. It's not a religious activity. It's really something for you and your relationship with the Lord. He goes on to say this, verse 5, and, uh, or excuse me, oh yeah, and when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. This is what I was just talking about. Um. And truly, I said to you, they have the reward in full. Now, those that phrase there, they have the reward in full. I, I want you to retain that phrase. When you see somebody who's doing something uh, to be seen, ask the question to him. Listen, how much good did that really do? He draw all that attention to himself. Uh, he's made a splash there. He's he's uh, done some things. He's trying to impress people. Ask yourself, how good was that? Did he get much out of that? Uh, what the Messiah is saying is whatever he got out of that, he already got his reward in full. There's no more future reward for him. And if you'll think about it for a moment, it's really kind of vain. It's It's really kind of silly. And that's what people are doing. They, they are being hypocritical, they're being silly, and they're not really focusing and understanding that when you pray, you're talking to someone who's really listening to you. And that someone is special. That someone is the Lord. Um, you, ever had, um, you ever had somebody come up and talk to you and they kind of just talk right past you? You know, they don't really quite acknowledge you. They just start saying things at you. And and you walk away and you go, well, that 
you know, that wasn't very sincere. That wasn't really, <laughs> you know, the, I, I didn't get the same out of the conversation. I think that guy got out of the conversation. Um, that's the thing you don't want to do with the Lord. Don't talk past the Lord. Don't talk at the Lord. Don't tell the Lord what to do. You know, remember who you're talking to and make sure your conversation is with him. Um, he goes on to say here, um, he says, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who's in secret will repay you. He said the real connection in prayer is remember who you're talking to. Talk to your heavenly father, you know, the creator of the universe, who knows you, who created you, who brought you into the world who knows about your life and knows about what's going to go on in your life, who has, has stated his intention to bless you and, and uh, to love you. Talk to that person and, and speak with him about the things of your life and what your concerns are and, and so forth. Verse 7, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. You know, um, when you see people that are speaking vain, whether it be people in a riot or whether it be people trying to impress somebody, they say the same things over and over and over and over again. They repeat themselves. There's no second sentence, so to speak, with it. Um, and he's saying it's, it's, that's not effective. Stop and think about this for a moment. <clears throat> When you go to pray, do you think that the Lord really knows what's going on in your life? Do you think that the Lord really knows what's going on in the world? All of the competing factors that may be affecting your world and your life and your family and so forth. So if he already has the knowledge of all of those things and understands them with perfect wisdom, then maybe you don't have to explain the situation all that far to him. Maybe when you bring the topic up that you want to pray about, all you have to do is really bring up the topic and come right to the point as to what your request is. You don't have to explain to God so that God can understand what your problem is. What you can do is you can pray in a very simple way, trusting him for what would be the right thing to do. Lord, whatever you want to do here, I'm sure you'll choose the right thing. We, we're just requesting some help here. And that prayer, I think, is going to be received a whole lot better than you making all kinds of elaborate things about it. Now, there's also a form of prayer which is, uh, which is praise. And let me tell you that the, the, the biblical word for praise is the same word for being thankful. Whether people realize or not, if you're just saying thank you to the Lord, you are praising him. And when you're praising him, you're really offering thanks for what he has done. You're praising him because he's done wonderful things. So you praise his deeds. You praise who he is to you. You praise him as your redeemer. You praise him as your creator. He's done these great things. 
And when you see good things happen, you thank him for those good things. And praise and thanksgiving are one and the same, you know, with the Lord and spiritually are one and the same. The uh, the people who are unthankful never praise uh, anyone else. Did you know that? People who are unthankful never praise anyone else. And because praise and thanks, uh, thankfulness are spiritually synonymous. They are the same thing. He finally comes down to it, and he's going to give some instruction on praying. And I'm sure you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, as we call it here. Um, he says, verse 8, Therefore, do not be like them, the hypocrites, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. That was what I just said. He knows. He knows all about this. You don't need to go into a lot of words and details with him. You don't need to educate him on anything. He knows what's going on. Verse 9, pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's look at this first phrase. Who's he talking to? He says, I'm talking to you, my heavenly Father. I'm talking to you, Lord. Uh, rather than just rattling off, you know, if, if, if you come up and, and uh, you're communicating with somebody, you usually, if there's a group of people, you usually will look at the person you're talking to or you will specifically speak their name or you will in some way indicate I'm speaking with you. If it's a group, you still make a way of indicating you're speaking to this assembly. And any good speaker, when he comes before an assembly, the first thing that he does is he addresses the assembly. You know, the typical thing is we, um, shalom. You know, we start off with, hey, I see you. I recognize you. You're here. Welcome. You know, that's before we try to do any teaching. When I came in the program, uh, here I started off, I welcomed you, I, I, I introduced, uh, you know, what we're doing here, and I spoke directly to the audience, almost like on a first-person basis. And that's what Yeshua is saying. When you go to talk to your Heavenly Father, speak to Him on a first-person basis. Don't talk past Him. Don't talk around Him. Talk directly to Him. Speak directly to Him. And then once you have spoken directly to Him, then you get to the specifics of what you want to pray about. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Could you help me, Lord, with my needs? You know, you pledged to help me with my needs, and I, I would appreciate it if you could help me with my needs. Forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. By the way, I have no righteous standing with you, Lord, I, uh, you know, I come to you asking for forgiveness. There's no reason why you should do any of the good things you do for me, not based on my righteousness. I have sinned, and I am, and you're humbling yourself before it. And you specifically ask, help me, Lord, in my status as being this mortal and where I make a lot of mistakes. Thus, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help me, Lord, to walk out before you correctly. Don't guide me, strengthen me, keep me upright, uh, uh, so that I do the right things, you know, for you. 
Uh, that's a very simple prayer. Lord, would you help me with my AIDS? And by the way, I'm not worthy, Lord. Please forgive me and, and help me to walk before you. That's essentially what he taught him to pray. Now, that's not a big, long, complicated prayer, is it? Pretty simple. But it's very direct and personal between you and the Lord. You're not doing this for a religious show. If somebody were to actually hear that prayer that you're saying, they would go, well, he prayed for him, you know, um, and I guess I need to pray to God for, for me. Because he wasn't making a speech for other people. You, you are praying directly to the Lord for your particular needs. And he's showing them, this is how you personally pray to the Lord. Now, verse 13, um, it has an additional phrase there that I did not read to you. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Boy, doesn't that sound kind of religious? I mean, that, boy, that really put a nice cap on this. I mean, don't you feel good? You know, let me go ahead and patronize you, Lord. Did you know that that phrase is not in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible? That was added by churchmen later on. The actual instruction of the Lord was very simple for you to just humbly go before him. You speak to the Lord. You let him know what your needs are, and, and you get right with the Lord. That phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, was added later in the later manuscripts. It wasn't in the original manuscripts that we believe that Matthew wrote. But it speaks to the very issue of what the teaching on prayer is. A lot of people want to make a, a great oration when they pray. What Yeshua taught the disciples was, don't make an oration, just talk to the Lord. You you talk to him about you. And don't worry about, you know, look, you're not going to impress him with your speech. <laughs> you know, you're not going to impress anybody else. So drop all that. Um, he then goes on to say for instruction, because he brought up the subject of forgiveness, Asking God for forgiveness. Verse 14, for if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's a very interesting uh, spiritual principle. Uh, and there's a, a kind of a substitutionary or a spiritual equation at work here. Meaning that how you forgive others is the same way that your master is going to be forgiving you. He goes on further to say this. Um, verse 16. And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face or as the hypocrites do, they for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. There's that phrase again. If you do something of a religious nature and you want people to see it, and you position yourself where people do see it. By the way, don't expect any more reward from the Lord that you've done anything good. you got your full reward. Oh, you wanted men to think well of you? Well, that's your reward. That's what you get. Did you do a good thing? Yeah, yeah. And the men, they gave you a reward. Don't be asking me to give you any reward for it. 
you were more interested in what the men thought of you than you thought what I think of you. But you, verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. Again, don't make your walking out of your faith, whether it be prayer or fasting. And by this, this also is going to go into giving. Don't do it so that it's seen by other men. Do it specifically, personally with the Lord. Then the Lord rewards that. Uh, but if you do it in front of men, then you're going to get your reward right there. Have you ever seen... Um, have you ever seen those special um, uh, benefits where all of the rich people, they dress up in their nice apparel, you know, and they make these contributions, thousands of dollars of contributions for this cause, and they get to come to this nice dinner, and the ladies get to put all their sparkly stuff on, and the men are looking real debonair, you know, with their tuxedo on and so forth. Believe me, that meal... They got the reward in full for the gift they gave. They got their ego stroked. They looked nice. Everybody complimented them. They, they, they got everything. They, are they going to get something from the Lord? No. They have the reward in full. You sought the admiration of men. I don't care what you gave. You, you get the admiration of men. You have the reward in full. See where spiritual humility really pays off? Haughtiness never pays off with the Lord. Pride never pays off with the Lord. It only has to do with things here. But humility and keeping things in secret, those are the ones that pay off. And I think what the Lord is talking about is you need to get a lifestyle going of doing this. Um I've, in the course of my ministry, I've run into a lot of people who are in debt and they're struggling, you know, with it. And I always sit down with them and I say, well, I can, I can tell you why you're in debt and I can tell you why you're never going to get out of debt. I say, okay, well, well, why? It's one, you're not humble enough. And two, you're not doing it and trusting the Lord. Because God has promised to meet your needs. And if your needs are not getting met, it's because you, obviously you haven't asked him. Because he guarantees he meets your needs. Now, he won't give you what you want, but he has promised to meet your needs. And if it's a financial need, okay, let's say, it, you know, most people have financial needs. What, you want to you make sure that everything comes together and your needs are met? Have you given of your first part to the things of the Lord yet? He, he says, if you'll give me one-tenth, he said, I'll cover the 100% for you. That's, that's a deal. Think about that. I give one-tenth, and he covers the 100% for me. He meets all my needs. All I have to do is that. And then in the meantime, you're ministering to others and helping others. And so your whole sense of value and and understanding what the Lord's been doing for you, you can minister and be a part of what God's doing in other people's lives. This is very personal, and this is what the Messiah is trying to get you to do. Make your faith 
and what you do when you pray, when you give, when you do religious things. Do not do them to be visible by other people. Do them so that your Father, Heavenly Father, sees them. And only He sees them. And if you do that, He says your Heavenly Father is going to take note of it and you're doing what He wants you to do. The glory is going to the Lord and He is going to meet your needs. He's going to repay you accordingly. All right. So let's talk about big time about money since I brought about giving because that's how the world goes around. Money makes the world go around. Amen. All right. So verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, uh, nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let's just talk about the basic uh, dynamics of what that is. Um, everybody, um, everyone, uh, looks at their ability to do things based on how much money do I have? How many resources do I have? If you've got some money in the bank, you could say, hey, I can do some things. If you don't have any money in the bank, you say, hey, I can't do anything. You know, I'm, I'm broke, you know, kind of thing. And so the first thing he wants to say is your whole attitude about having resources is in the wrong place. Don't worry about the resources that's here in the world. What you need to be thinking about are spiritual resources. How much do you have stored up in heaven? By the way, you are at great risk if you try to store up treasures here on earth, he talks about, hey, the stuff will fall apart on you. It gets old. It dies. It, it people steal it. It, it breaks. Um, you know, so forth. If you, uh, you know, you ever seen the people who buy one of those big fancy RVs? Boy, those look like fun. I mean, really, stop it. Happening, how luxurious they are, and you can drive them anywhere and stay at any campground. You know, and and and. The, have you ever seen how much maintenance those people have to do on those things? You can't go a year without having incredible maintenance costs on those silly things. Because they're not built to be permanent. They're t built to be mobile and temporary. And that's exactly the way they behave. A house. You know, you get a nice house. Guess what you're going to be doing every year with your house? Fixing something. And if you don't change those air filters, you'll have to be replacing the air conditioning and the heating. You know, and it's there's maintenance tasks that goes with it. In other words, things that are here on the earth that you might gain possession of and so forth, they they they're temporary. Buy a brand new Corvette, put it in a garage. Don't drive it, just hold on to it. What happens to it? The tires get old, the air leaks, the oil sets in the crankcase and gels up, the gas gets old, you got to run the thing, and now you have to do maintenance on it. And you didn't even do anything with it. That's what Yeshua is talking about. All these treasures here in the world, they're, they're all dwindling. Because here in the world, no matter what it is, it's all trying to revert back to its original nature when it was first created. That's the reason why metal and steel rusts. 
It's trying to go back to iron oxide, which is where it originally came from. And there's not a piece of plastic that does, old enough that doesn't get brittle and break. Uh, or a liquid that doesn't go stagnant or stale. Um, about glass is about the only thing that remains. Of course, it gets broken, but it turns into gravel. You know, you make new gravel, you know, with it. If that's what you wanted to do is make more dirt, I guess, you know, you can do that. Um, and, and the point that he's trying to make is get your attentions on things that last. And the reality is, that's a decision for every person. Your life is going to be so much better if you'll turn it over to serve the Lord. Things are going to work better for you. Your life will be more full. It will be more complete. And you get one of these nice retirement packages in the kingdom. But the guys that are focused on the world here, they have the reward in full now. There's no retirement package at the end for them. If they make it, they make it. Uh, but that's like what the Lord was talking about. There are some who are great in the kingdom, some who are least in the kingdom. And a lot to do with whether you're great or least is what did you do here? What was the decisions that you made while you were here? So Yeshua is talking about, let's put your treasure in the place where it really needs to go. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold one and despise other. You cannot serve God and mammon. If you're really going to serve God, then you have to make him the first priority in your life. You cannot serve God by making other things a priority above him, whether it be the search for money or ego or fame or whatever it is you want to sell out for. It's not greater than the Lord. It's not greater than what God can do. And so he's making it. You, you can't do both. Oh, I'm going to go out and be very famous and have a great ego and also have an outstanding relationship with God. Not going to happen. God has to be number one or else you, you're not understanding who God is. Um For this reason, verse 25, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat and what you shall drink, nor your body as to what you shall put on it. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they um, spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is 
alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O man of little faith? Do not be anxious then when saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Most people retain this uh, verse here about seek first the kingdom of God. That's a very common verse as believers that we memorize and so forth. But let's back up for a little bit because we need to talk about these examples. How many people do you know that are concerned about what kind of clothes they wear and their appearance? By the way, I'm going to break the code for you on teenagers Let me tell you what the number one thing teenagers are committed to. Appearance. They are committed to having the right shoes. They gotta have the right pants. They gotta have the right outfit. They gotta have the right hairstyle. They gotta have, everything has gotta look a certain way. And whoever's wearing this, well, I gotta have something like that. And the vanity of apparel, you don't have to go very far in this world to find that's what some people, they get themselves all wrapped around the axle about. They're just chasing every day what is the outfit I'm going to wear in clothes. In the ancient times, in the days of Yeshua, if you had two additional changes of clothing, you were considered a rich man. The average man had the clothes he was wearing on his back. And when it was laundry time, you went down there and took a bath and laundered it yourself. You had one pair of sandals. You didn't have two pairs of sandals. You got another pair when the other ones broke or ran out. How many How many of you have heard about the women who have whole closets just with shoes, of which they mostly don't wear? But they got to have that stuff. Because that's what they're concerned about. That's what they're anxious about. And teens, that's what they're anxious about. You need to recognize when you're spiritually going out to minister to people, this is what they are concerned about. This is what prioritizes their lives. You know, oh, i got to do this because, I, I mean, how am I going to eat? I'm reminded of a conversation that I had with my own father. When, as a young man, he saw my dedication and my zeal uh, to the Lord. And he didn't think that was a very wise decision on my part to, to do that. And, of course, he was always about going out and working and making a living. And, you know, that's who's his priority. And, you know, what, what are we going to eat tomorrow and all that kind of stuff. And, and he, I remember he said to me, he said, well, you can't eat the Bible. In other words, if you pursue the Bible, it's not going to provide for what you need to eat. Now, what the Lord just said here is at great odds with what my father said. The Lord said, if you'll seek me first, these things will be added to you just fine. And he, and he takes examples. And he said, look at the birds. How, how do they get fed? 
Well, I can tell you how they get fed. You need, you need to go do a little analysis on how birds get fed. First of all, God provides so many bugs in this world, it's unbelievable, and these birds love these bugs. Birds will jump down on the ground, they just walk around and eat bugs. Okay? And then they have people like me. Okay? Yours truly. Who sets up a bird feeder. Who tries to buy for them the very best bird seed I can get for them so I can put it in their bird feeder so I can sit out here on my patio and watch the birds eating from the bird feeder. The, the, the birds run around and say, boy, it's a good thing we got Monty back there, you know, putting feed in the bird feeder. No, it, 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 it's hidden. They don't care where that came from. They just, God provides for them. That's what they understand. God has provided whatever I need. Um, God provides for us whatever we need. Again, let me emphasize this. God does not provide for you what you want. He will provide for you what you need. And by the way, we all need to eat. You cannot live and not eat. So rather than us being all concerned about how to meet this need, or what we think is our needs, you know, the Lord knows what we need, and just trust him and follow him to do it. He said, the real key to success in life is you pursue me, and I'll take care of all those other things for you. But if you pursue those things, you're probably not going to be satisfied. Things aren't going to quite work out for you, and you'll be chasing your tail for a long time. And in particular, he deals with the vanity of clothing. Um, I remember the days when I was in aerospace where it had to be a, a, a very nice suit, very nice jacket, very nice tie. You've got to have the right kind of shirts. In fact, at the height of my career, I tell people that I, in the office where I used to have, I used to have a fresh tie and a fresh shirt from the laundry that was folded up that was in my desk drawer. And if at the end of the day, all of a sudden I had to go do another activity and, and maybe some lunch spilled on my shirt or whatever on my tie, I could change and get a fresh tie on and a fresh shirt because I had to, I had to look like I was a vice president because a vice president has to have a certain look. You know what I'm saying? So it's all about appearance and to... Be careful, I made sure I had to have extras and so forth for it. Everybody at their level of life has this concern, their appearance. Believe me, guys, it's not that important. Now, I'm not saying don't be groomed, and I'm not saying don't be clean, and I'm not saying don't be appropriate. What I'm saying is don't let that prioritize and drive your life. Let God be the priority of your life. This is what the Messiah is telling these guys. Stop and think about here for a moment who these young men are. They're really just getting their lives started. Um, and they probably have lots of questions. Well, what am I going to do in my life? Peter had become a fisherman. Some of the other men had. Uh, Matthew had gotten into the tax collecting business. You know, they're all trying to figure out, how, how am I going to make a living? How am I going to do all of this kind of thing? And here we are on this, and the Messiah is standing up in front of them, and he's saying, all that stuff you're concerned about, and all that stuff you're worrying about, it's not worth worrying about. 
Let me tell you what's really important to do. And he's giving them and coaching them. What is, where, where should your focus be? What should be most important in your life uh, for it? By the way, these guys all did well. You know, they became apostles and they all did well. Lived long lives, served the Lord and so forth. Anybody have any question about whether or not there's a reward in heaven for them? We have no doubt in our minds that there's a reward. Far more than if they'd have been the best fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. You know, they would have caught a lot of fish. Big deal. You know, but what they did with the Lord, that was the big deal. Same thing is true for us in this world. I have, uh, every once in a while, I'll hear a eulogy done for a, a good man. He was a professor. He taught this. He became a world expert on this thing and so forth. And and everybody admired him and, and all of this kind of thing. And uh, they're talking about how great the guy was and so forth. And I, and I keep having these words go through me. He has his reward in full. He's already getting all. He's already gotten all of his reward. The real question was, did he know the Lord? What did he do with the Lord? Will determine what the future is for him in that regard. All right, let's move to chapter seven, and uh, let's see what the Lord has to instruct on this. These are very powerful personal lessons that the Messiah is giving to the disciples. He says, uh, verse one. Do not judge, lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. Behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I remember as a youth, and it, by the way, this is still true today, the worst thing that can be said to a spiritual person who's attempting to walk out and obey the Lord is to be accused of being a hypocrite. Um, if if what you do with others is not what you do with yourself, you're setting yourself up to be so easily judged that you'll judge yourself and everybody will be able to judge you very easily. Um, the world that we live in, let me say this as succinctly as it can, the world we live in is full of hypocrites. And we're some of them. We have no righteousness, you know, to commend ourselves before God. We say we want to do the right thing, and we turn around and don't do the right thing. We pass a judgment of sorts on this situation, but the same principle over in another situation, we, we do something else. We don't follow the same principle. Um, one of the greatest examples of hypocrisy is right here in our own country. Uh, our legislature, our Congress, passes laws for all of us and then exempts themselves from the same laws. 
They make different laws for them. So they can offend the laws that we do. Let me give you a very specific example of this. Have you ever asked yourself, how in the world does a person as a congressman, you know, on congressional pay, senator pay, how do they go there and then after a few years they're multimillionaires? How, how do they do that? How, you know, must have really saved the money and only ate lunch down at the, at the Capitol Free Lunch Buffet for Congress. No, that's not how it's done. How it's done is this is that once you get into Congress, you've got all these people approaching you, and they want you to vote on certain things and and sponsor certain things and so forth. And these people are big time in the business and so forth, and so they come to you and they say, hey, look, if you will support us, you know, on this thing, we have this new company that's coming up, and it's going to have this initial um, stock offering and before the stock goes public, you can buy, we'll let you buy some of the stock. And so that on the day that it opens, when the stock market jumps up on it and so forth, well, you could make a lot of money. And all you have to do is buy a little bit of this, and then you'll make a lot of profit. And that's called insider trading. Now, you and I... As Joe Citizen, if we get inside information on stuff that's getting ready to happen for the stock market and we exploit that and buy stock and do that, we'll go to jail. That's considered a version of theft. That's thievery. You're doing unfair advantage on other people and you're manipulating other people's money. But if you're a congressman or a senator, you're exempt from that law. And just to point out as an example to you, um, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, um, Nancy Pelosi, um, she's a multimillionaire. You know, I believe the last thing I, time I heard about it was that she was worth like close to $400 million or so. When she went into Congress way back 35 plus years ago, she didn't have that amount of money. How in the world, serving in Congress for 30-some years, how in the world did she amass the wealth of hundreds of millions of dollars? Well, she went through eight specific, those IPO things. Eight of them. You know, the first one built a nice nest egg, and then that nest egg went into the next one, and that one went into the next one, and that one went into where that she's, man, I mean, you know, she's hauling bucks away with dump trucks. And she thinks everything's fine. Everything's fine. Of course, all those other investors that put the money into and lost their money, uh, you know, it it was for a good cause. It went into her coffers and so forth. If If this is the leaders of our nation, why do we think that they would be making righteous judgments for us if they're out for the bucks? And they go there with that purpose and intent. They vote themselves pay raises when the rest of the country is suffering. You know, in fact, in this most recent, uh, you know, where everybody's 40 million Americans being laid off, Congress voted themselves a pay raise. Really? 
Yeah, really. You know, that's, that's how it does it. Um, what uh, Yeshua says here, if you're going to be in a position to render judgments for other people, either as a leader of your family, a leader in a community, and so forth, do understand that the way that you judge is the same way you will be judged. In the same way that you're judged, you will be judged. And the ultimate judge, of course, is the Lord. And this should come to us as a great warning. We need to be very careful with this area. All right, our time has come up for this particular program. When we come back again in the next program, we're going to pick up from here in chapter 7, and we'll continue on with the teaching of the Lord to his disciples. Shalom, everyone. 